Spoiler alert, this podcast will be including information regarding the most recent episode of The Wheel of Time on Amazon. Haven't seen it yet? Go watch, then come back. Part of Double P Media, doublepmedia.com. Yeah, I want to dance with somebody. Tell me about the wisdom. I want to feel bell time with somebody. Because we've never been a talker, but I have eyes. Yeah, I want land as somebody. She's stubborn, knows her own mind, knows she's falling for you. Land as somebody who loves me. Welcome to Busting Blockbusters. It is an episode where we are covering the Wheel of Time, episode 5, called Blood Calls Blood. And I believe that uh, there's a lot of blood that should be discussed in this episode for sure. My name is Double M. Double M? M. Yeah, that stands for Matt Murdock. And you may have heard two voices there. One of them was not me. I did not Double M myself. We have two, two, two guests this time around. First of all, it's a voice you're already familiar with on this podcast. He's the guy who likes to play tic-tac-toe on your back with a knife. It's Bubba. Bubba, welcome back. Matt, I am so glad to be here, and I'm glad we're on video on YouTube so everybody can see that I am an ogier. Yeah, something like that. Um, And we have a very special guest. There was a person last week who submitted some very, very strong feedback Mm -hmm. asking a very, very important question. Or maybe it was two weeks ago. I don't remember anymore because I can't keep track of time. But the most pertinent question regarding this podcast was, Mm -hmm. where is Catfish? So here he is. He's not just an ogre. He's an ogre, too. It's Catfish. Catfish, welcome to Bustin' Blockbusters, buddy. Holy cow. I am honored Honored. uh, to be invited to talk about uh, episode five. I am so glad that you are here because uh, maybe I finally can find, I've never found an ally in Bubba with my rand hate. I'm hoping I can find an ally with somebody out there in the world with my rand hate. Oh boy. And uh, we're going to have some fun with this. Catfish, since you are the guest, reminder, folks, we're going to be spoiling everything about Season 1, Episode 5, Blood Calls Blood. So you've been warned. Catfish, let's start with you and your rating for this episode, sir. All right. Well, I was going to put it on the triple S scale. Triple S? Yeah, stepping self-sorting. But, Matt, when I was talking about my feelings about the show in general— Mm-hmm. It it made me decide that whenever I'm able to join this podcast, I am going to, instead of using the triple S, I'm instead going to put, I'm going to use triple S. Triple S? Yes. I am going to judge the show on the sci-fi or <laughs> sci-fi scale. Is it? In other words, remember the sci-fi network used to do a lot of uh, these kinds of shows Back in the day, and then at one point they tried to be cool, and they kind of changed their design, and then they were like, I think you were supposed to call them Siffy. (laughs) So anyway, Siffy's ridiculous. Sci-fi is better. So I think actually they've been better since Siffy. But what I'm going to say is basically was tonight's episode 
better or worse than a show you would have seen on sci-fi wow. in the 90s? I got to admit, Catfish, that comes across much better than your uh, the previous podcast that you and I did in tandem for the first and only season of Penny Dreadful City of Angels, where mm. you came up with the No Man scale. I mean, uh, City of Angels did everything they needed to do in one one season. Uh, <laughs> As in destroy our allegiance, yes. They did. They did. I'm going to say, and I think this is the first time that I am going to put this, I'm going to judge this episode, I'm going to call it sci-fi, which is good, not stiffy. This is the very first episode that I thought was better than a random episode you'd see on a sci-fi series in the 90s. Wow. Mm -hmm. So on a 10 scale, what would that be? Matt, this is the first episode that has a passing grade for me. Okay, it's okay. I'm I'm just gonna go. I think uh, after seeing the costume design, uh, the set design, trying to figure out where uh, who embezzled the nine million dollars an episode out of the ten million dollars they're spending on it. Matt, I, all I can do is pass fail, and this is the first one that passes. So take that, put that. In your Ogier's big hands and love it. Oh, right. Excellent. Sci-fi. Sci-fi. Pass. Sci-fi pass. That's an excellent scale to have. Catfish. Uh, Matt, Baba. Can, Matt, I want to. Yeah, I hate to change up, throw your curveball here, but I want to hear your rating. So we just heard Catfish's, which seems like a middling, barely passing grade. I want to hear your rating next, if that's okay. That is perfectly great, Bubba, because I was just going to say – uh, as Catfish is well aware uh, from our times of covering Penny Dreadful City of Angels, mm-hmm. uh, we, I can never give anything below a seven. And so, therefore, I'm giving this particular episode what I like to call 8.4 out of 10 double Cs. Oh, double Cs. Double Cs. Yeah, clavicle contusions. Mm. Um, because that's uh, really hard to beat your chest like that. And. Uh, if I'd have given it a nine, I wouldn't have been as mourning for it as uh, as if I was giving it this 8.4. I have to admit, Bubba, the whole problem with Loyal, our friendly old gear, was that I had an entirely different picture of him in my head as I read the books. There was not much description in these books of any of the characters, really. But I did have uh, one of the things that struck me, and not to say too much about the books, but one of the things that struck me is that when Rand first met him in the books, he mistook him for a Trolloc for a second. And to me, this guy looks nothing like a Trolloc. He looks more like some kind of humanized, uh, humified Aslan is from Narnia is what he looked like to me. It it just seemed a little bit, almost a little bit too much. Uh, well, I, I don't know, Matt. I mean, it's clear based on the portrayal in this series that uh, Rand is an ignorant hick um, that should be castrated and then mutilated. So, I mean, I just, there you know, go it, all our <laughs> listeners. There go all our downloads. Everybody's gone now. Immature comedy. Now we can speak completely freely uh, because everybody's gone. <laughs> Matt, I think you know where I might end up on the on the Rand scale here. Um, <laughs> you know what? I uh, I probably should have said this up top, but for some reason, even though I'm a, a sci-fi and fantasy nerd, I never read any uh, of these books. Okay. And so I was kind of excited for this series because it's opened up a, an entirely new uh, world for me. 
and so I, I did not have any expectations. And, and this was m maybe um, the Ogier. And how do you exactly do you say his name? Lo Loyal? I say it uh, Loyal. Just, loyal. just think of it as a very fancy way of saying loyal. 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 Sure. Uh, already like one of my favorite characters. And this is not a slam like. Just uh, just enjoy the heck out of him. And so there's cool. another good thing of like not having expectations. He was a, he was a delight. You know, I, I mean, a lot of people in this world are obviously dealing with a lot of heavy things. So, uh, you know, there's not exactly a lot of joy floating around in this story. And uh, he brought some. So it was much appreciated. OK, that's fair. That's absolutely fair, Catfish. Uh, you know, I probably am in the minority of not liking the reveal of this character. Speaking of being in the minority, Bubba, how did you rate this episode? Well, I got to be honest. Uh, I'm going to be very, very low. I'm yep. going to give this six, what I like to call double P's out of 10. Double, double P's. P's? That's pissed Perrin. The highlight of this moment was when Perrin leveled up and decided to go to town on the White Cloaks. I loved that moment. Release the wolves! I loved it. That moment was good, but it, it it feels like the show flipped for me. And I hope our listeners appreciate that. I'm trying to be honest. I'm not trying to be a hater at this when I go six out of 10, but to me, the other episodes that we had watched were really, really good or great, but with just little moments of clunkiness. This episode for me seemed to flip the script where it went from little moments of good and great to lots of clunkiness. Mm. I, say this as a non-book reader, and I'm not, once again, trying to, you know, cause hate or just have a hot take, but so much time spent on Steppen, who I have not emotionally invested in as all as a non-book reader, I just couldn't go there. I, I was like, I care about the, the six characters, or now seven characters that you've uh, helped me get invested in, meaning the four original would-be dragons, the warder, and the Aes Sedai, and then the Wisdom, who also might be a Dragon Reborn. So those characters I'm invested in, and I can care about them, and I, I do care about them. But when you introduce a character like Steppen, who I don't have a book connection with, and he felt like, dare I say it, a, a, a glorified day player in the previous episode, now I'm going to spend so much time with his grief. I obviously think for story reasons it's important that we understand how much a warder can suffer when their Aes Sedai passes on. But I couldn't emotionally connected, connect with it. I didn't have an emotional connection with that character. And so much so much time spent on it. To me, this was the weakest episode of the five. Wow. Oh, that's fair enough. Uh, Catfish, you had plenty to say in response to me about Ogier. Do you have anything to say since you gave this a passing grade uh, on the sci-fi scale? Do you have anything to say to Bubba? Well, to be honest, I mean, I think that is, uh, and I'm I'm loath to say this. I think that's a, a brilliant point by Bubba. That was, in fact, the thing I was least interested in was was his storyline. Way fascinated by the white cloaks. Holy cow! Oh that yes, whole, exactly. That whole thing is this crazy. And then we've got the other people. I mean, you know, if we're going to like keep these people apart and and it's story wise i don't know you know when they bring them back together again but let us have more of of, of this this guy is oh frightening 
Oh, I yes. really, I really wish that. Uh, but so I'm Team Valda right now. Team Valda. <laughs> and my only wish is that the person he would run into is is Rand. Oh and, no. And fast. <laughs> <laughs> I love it because you brought up a, my very next segment, Catfish. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all about hating on Rand. Mm-hmm. So let's get mm-hmm. into that. Okay. And uh, I don't know. I don't know what order we want to go in here, but it, during this particular segment, uh, much to the chagrin of most of our listeners, and especially to my main podcast co-host here, uh, we hate on Rand every week. Mm. We try to Mm -hmm. find somebody within Mm -hmm. the episode who hates Rand the most. So, Bubba, because you loathe this so much, do you want to get yours out of the way? Matt, thank you so much for coming to me first on this Rand hate uh, segment we do every week. And I hope listeners who are disappointed that I had some trouble with this episode are going to be back on my side when I say I still don't see the hate for Rand. Rand uh. is about 20 years old. He had one episode where he dealt with a relationship poorly and he shouldn't have done that, but he might be emotionally immature at 20. I'm not going to beat him up about that. So I think the person who hates Rand the most in this episode, if I have to do the segment, I think it's Matt. Matt has this terrible sickness inside him from him picking up that evil knife back in episode two. And so he hates anybody who's going to take that sickness out of him. So I think Matt is the big rant hater in episode five. Bubba, I totally agree with you. I'm going to save Catfish for last because I think he's best. I think that Matt also hates Rand the worst. But I think you're overlooking some of the clear reasons why uh, Matt hates him the worst in this episode. Uh, You know, for one thing. Just think about the way that Rand looked at him so judgmentally when he was just trying to keep, teach a kid le- a lesson to look out for himself. You know, to, 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 to just look where you're running, kid. You're going to get hurt. And let me show you. Let me teach you that lesson. Also, uh, Rand uh, implying that Matt needed to clean up and rest uh, before seeking the safety of the White Tower. Uh, all of these judgmental things. How about taking a perfectly free gift and half eating it before offering it to Matt. And it's got to spit all over it once he does. I mean, we're living in a pandemic, people. You you cannot offer something like that. Or if you do, don't eat it first. Offer it to the guy who's sick. I mean, have a little compassion, Rand. I mean, this is clearly one of those things. Not only that, but he invites himself over to the parade. I mean, Matt's just going to try and watch a parade, and Rand just shows up saying, oh, thanks for saving me a seat. Matt didn't want him there. And then finally, 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 finally. he tells, you know, Matt just finally comes to it, and he's like, I can't stand this Rand guy anymore. If we're channelers, I'm I'm promising you that I'm going to kill you. I promise you that I, because he says, you know, Rand do that to me, but he's thinking he, Rand doesn't have the the capability of doing that. He's such a wimp. He's such a coward, but I'll kill you. I hope you go mad from channeling, buddy. Uh, so that's my Rand hate for this week. Send your hate mail to at bust blockbuster on Twitter. In fact, send emails to Matt's audio, uh, Matt's audio blog at gmail.com and be sure to tweet at the word double the letters PHQ for all of that good feedback if you have any complaints about my rand hate or if you feel like telling bubba that he's right and nobody should hate rand we've got a couple of comments about that from our last youtube as well i'm just doing all of this blustering to save up and build up our good friend catfish who i feel has a great deal of hate for rand i just feel it join me brother join team trollic the double t who 
So the question is, who in this episode hated Rand the most? Yeah. Yeah, it yes. was me. Well, I hated him the most. Oh, I no. don't, I do not understand what you're saying at all, Bubba. He was, he was a whiny little bee in one no, no. episode. He has been a whiny, complaining. I mean, this is his behavior. Yes. It's, it's not something that I would accept from an eight-year-old. Forget a 20-year-old. He's so immature. And Matt, I have to ask you, because I don't know. Okay. Was he this bad in the book? Yeah, not to the near extreme that I'm taking it, uh, but a lot a lot of the story is told from his point of view. And there were, for me, uh, there were always some things that I kind of go, uh. of course, in the books, he's aged down about three or four years also. And I'm almost, you're kind of almost like, okay, from a, a teenager who's just got his license, you can accept that maybe just a little bit. And, and because it's not even as extreme, but now I just, I just focus my rant hate everywhere. It's so easy. It's so fun in every episode. If you're not liking an episode, just find a reason to hate Rand. You'll find one. It's easy. Yeah, he's really, I mean, I, uh, you know, I, after I saw the, the most recent Halloween movie, I tweeted out that, uh, this was the first Halloween movie that I rooted for Michael Myers. Without any further comment, uh, just because sometimes I'm just trying to see if someone could get it. Because I hated everybody in that movie so much, I've never rooted for Michael Myers. And this is the way I feel here. I might be, I might be team triple C's. Triple C. Yeah, childishly constructed Trollocs. Uh, uh, Trollocs uh, begins with a T. There. Uh, oh, sorry, sorry. Triple T's. Uh, triple T's, oh, yeah. Oh, wait a minute. T terribly generated uh, Trollocs. Uh, I think being <sighs> impaled by the Trollocs is not enough for him. You know, I'm just hoping that he gets his deserved justice from the White Cloaks. He's just, I mean, all the other characters have something going on. I don't know whether it was the way that's written and they just emphasized it more or it's the performance. But I really hate this guy. You know, but you know who hates me the most from this episode? It's Stefan because he didn't take Rand out before he took himself out. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to go, do the world a favor. I w honestly, to be honest with you, this yeah. episode, he bothered me the least. But in every other episode, I have disliked him so much that it's kind of affecting my enjoyment of the series. The, I, I genuinely, genuinely dislike the character wow so it's unfortunate i just it don't, is yeah it's unfortunate you're on this podcast <laughs> it is it is it is <laughs> blame whoever called me out <laughs> simon this is all your fault <laughs> all your fault man you asked for it you got it now catfish it's time to invite you into the in-depth discussion that we do every week regarding an episode i love it yeah it has a wonderful title mm -hmm. called blah Blah, blah. Oh, that's good. And I always just set up a very, as you are well aware from our past experience of podcasting mm -hmm. together, I set up a very terrible recap, mm -hmm. but Bubba usually adds some funny to it uh, where mine is lacking. And I'm just sure that you will too. 
what we'll do is I'll just start to recap events. I've grouped the storylines together, kind of Aes Sedai all together, mm -hmm. and also then Rand and Matt, mm. and then uh, Perrin and Egwene. There, there is the naive crossover between the two storylines, but uh, you'll be able to keep track, I'm sure. We start off, once again, uh, with another episode of Monty Python's Holy Grail, where Steppen brings out his dead, and oh. we go on to wherever... Uh, from there, the, the ceremony of the burial, uh, Moraine says, may the last embrace of the mother welcome you home. I don't know if that was confusing for book readers or not. And I don't know if they're, or for non-book readers or not. And I kind of wanted to explain that, uh, rather than, uh, people just wondering what it is. Cause I'm not sure they're going to explain it in the show if it was just a book reader nod. But, uh, the embrace, the last embrace of the mother is a burying tradition where you don't use a coffin and that kind of thing. Uh, nothing to restrict the earth from, from you know, taking your body back completely. So that was what that was about. Um, after that, uh, everybody's, it's, we find out it's a month later. Uh, Stepan's very distraught. Uh, even Leandrin looked a little distraught at the funeral. Uh, and uh, naturally, uh, it was a man that ended up killing uh, Corinne, so that makes sense. And then a month later, Moraine and Lan are approaching the White Tower. They're approaching Tarvalon, and uh, they're discussing the kiddos, and and you know that they will find them. They then move uh, Nynaeve into a, a, a locked up tower for political protection. That's a double P. And Nynaeve doesn't want Moraine to tell her what she's thinking, but Moraine decides to anyway. Moraine also uh, promises that. She, she's going to protect Nynaeve from all of these politics and all of these things within the tower. And she's going to find her friends. Any comments so far from either of you? Well, before I give my comments, Matt, I'd love to know what you as a book reader thought of this portrayal, this visual representation of the White Tower. Did this city look like you imagined? Did the White Tower look like you imagined? What did you think of finally seeing this a monument, this location we've been talking about since the very first episode. I have to be honest with you, Bubba. Uh, they have moved up this location. I think I tweeted to you guys or, or, or put in a DM that the storyline is essentially the same, but it actually happens somewhere else. Oh, okay. And so hmm. I, you don't really get to Tarvalon until a much later book, which I haven't reread, and I don't remember much in the way of the descriptions of those. Well, how did you think it looked? And I'm asking mainly because, to me, I thought the show has looked really well on effects. I think the Trollocs have looked great. The fade is scary. It's creepy. I think it's beautiful. But then I saw the White Tower and the exterior uh, digital effects of it, I thought were not up to par. And then I thought inside, it, it looked too clean, a bit like what I would call the Jedi temples and the Star Wars prequels, where it's like, here's this clean building that looks like nobody's ever been in before. It doesn't the look whole, real. The whole world looks too clean. I mean, the dirt yeah, on the ground that. looks too clean. <laughs> the people's faces look too clean. It's too, <laughs> it's too clean. And then I, I, think, I think the lighting did – sorry, Matt. I'll just give my last bit on this digital effects. And the, But then I do want to hear from you, a book reader, is that – the lighting in it, I don't think helped at all. So when they put Nynaeve mm. in this room, the room, the way the room is set up, the way I understand the room is, okay, it's a room with three windows on one side, and there's a lot of light coming through them. And then there's a door and a, you know, a stone wall on the, on the other sides of it. And yet the room was pretty evenly lit. And so it didn't look mm. like naturalistic lighting. And so I don't think that helped the effect either. 
And so for a show, I've been really impressed with uh, that budget that Catfish mentioned earlier per episode. I just thought the 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 sets and the in everything didn't look as impressive as I thought it should. I'm I'm brand new. I've been hearing about this White Tower since episode one. I thought, okay, this is the impressive, this is the impressive place. And then I saw it and it it did look almost sci-fi, like Catfish mentioned. So that's my tough take on it. What did you as a book reader like? Did it live up to the magical fantasy world you wanted to see? Uh, I think that that's TBD. Okay. Okay. To be perfectly right. honest, because there's there's a key room in that place that we haven't seen yet, mm-hmm. except in the trailers. And uh, I want to get the, the look of that up close first. Uh, the only thing I can tell you guys about everything looking too clean, this is the one place that should get a pass. A wave, a, <laughs> I said I just waves a hand and a magic broom comes out from, you know, Mickey's closet and, and sweeps all the dust away, right? Well, then, but, then maybe it looks too new. Like it could look clean, but maybe it could somehow look older. I, I don't know. It just it just didn't work for me. So, uh, Well, I, I will agree with you there, Bubba, because even those statues mm-hmm. didn't look quite proper. They, they didn't look like if, if Leandrin is telling – uh, naive that they've been there for thousands of years or whatever, standing as the as the guards for for the main tower or for the what they call the the the, the room that uh, the Amaran seat usually sits in. Um, I didn't buy that either because you would think that those would have aged, looked a little more aged um, than that as well. Let me ask, let me ask you about a story point though, and this is one I've kind of mentioned on other episodes. And that is the internal conflict where Nynaeve is suddenly doubting Moraine and Lan again. And maybe she's doubting Lan because she feels a closeness to him and she's trying to protect herself. I don't know. But to me, some of this stuff really didn't make sense. Like, once again, you know, if I'm if I'm Nynaeve, I know Moraine cares about my four friends from the two rivers. I know that she wants to help them. I know that she defeats Trollox. I know all these things. And yet suddenly I'm going to treat her bitter. And, and the show implies that this is because maybe she's a bit afraid because now she's touched the one power and that can, uh, you know, that could affect you. But to me, it doesn't read as a smooth transition from where we just were. I, that is understandable too. And, and I think, think that that is one of those aspects where i think catfish and you both will say show me don't tell me uh because basically moraine uh was putting you know uh naive <laughs> it was almost kind of a play to the audience it was almost kind of meta in the fact that naive said don't tell me what i'm thinking and moraine did exactly that <laughs> you know so uh, i thought that that was kind of funny but i understand why you why you have a little bit of a confusion there in terms of that, um, I think it was supposed to be just a better look into Nynaeve's character in how stubborn she is. And I don't think that she looks at Moraine necessarily understanding that Moraine wants to protect her friends beyond the interest of her own investment and what might happen after that. One thing that I do feel the show has done fairly poorly is made Moraine kind of ambiguous. She seems to be portrayed too much on the side of of good. And I'm not saying that she's not good. I'm just saying that if you're going to have characters react to her in that way, um, then I would think that you would need to do something from her. Again, show, don't tell. You would need to see something from her that might imply that it was worth that mistrust. 
So oh, I can't boy. disagree that is a, with you. That there. is a brilliant point. Brilliant point, Matt, because as an audience member, I'm like, I'm on Team Moraine. And so yeah. when people doubt her, I'm like, are you not seeing what I'm seeing? Hello? Yeah, exactly. Well, and, it kind of reminds me of Bubba when we did uh, Why the Last Man in Forever. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, for, forever we would see the feelings about President Brown uh, as if she'd done something horrible and we never saw her do anything horrible. So we ha- we have this whole political thing that's swirling and it feels like it's not exactly clear to me what's going on. But as far as as far as Nynaeve goes, my question is, is it something that you guys have determined, you know, I think it was the last episode or the one before when the when the barmaid was trying to kill them and she said the five of you. Is it is it understood by you guys that Nynaeve is the fifth person that she was talking about? The show hasn't explicitly said that, but as a as a TV show only viewer like you, Catfish, that's what I'm definitely assuming. Okay. Moving on? Yeah, sure. All right. So, uh, naturally, when you catch Hitler, you got to put him on parade, right? So, uh, there's a false dragon parade uh, that uh, Leandrin gets some uh, stray radish thrown at her. Uh, Steppen got quite a bit of the uh, vaudeville rejection uh, for bringing <laughs> home a, just a boot and a, and a, and a cloak instead of uh, an Aes Sedai. Um, and we find out that, uh, you don't wear black at funerals in this world. You wear white, evidently. Oh, um, well, that's what I wear too. You wear white at funerals? It sounds yeah. about he appropriate. He just wears white all the time before Easter, after right. Easter. It doesn't matter. His wardrobe is completely white. Yeah, yeah. If I wear white, my skin actually looks like it has a tan. <laughs> yeah. Ah, it looks, it go. looks pinkish. <laughs> Uh, Stepan now recalls how he met uh, Corinne and uh, came into her service, and it's a nice, touching little story. If you're into that kind of thing, then Lan tries to tell Stepan. Yeah, or if you've cared about the characters at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lan tries to tell Stepan that there's plenty of other Aes Sedai in the sea, uh, you yep. know, but he's not hearing it. And then uh, Stepan does his, uh, his uh, basically, uh, his Aes Sedai ring ceremony at a, a, a mini Mount Doom somewhere within the tower. And the land goes back to Moraine and uh, seeks support after it's all over. That's pretty much the end of that. Obviously, you guys aren't very invested in Stepan. Um, I have well, the to- only thing I'll say is that even though I'm not a book reader and even though I didn't get too attached to that character, I also was not buying uh, no worries. Uh, there'll be another Aes Sedai coming down the pike. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did. I did. I, I was. I, I was surprised that uh, a warder would say that to another warder. Just, just swipe right, Stepan. It's oh, fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My note. My note on this section was the warders are like mean girls. Like when they were saying, "Ooh, Leandrin got hit with a radish," you know, they were <laughs> they were enjoying it too much. So uh, that was a little moment that I liked. But yeah, I you know nothing against Stepan or his uh, Aes Sedai partner who passed away. But as a non book reader, I barely knew him. It's tough to see him go through something like this when when I'm not when I'm not emotionally there. Understood. Understood. I am just uh, maybe one reason and uh, I can't recall having any investment in any water other than land throughout my reads of the books. Oh, wow. But um, maybe it's just because this particular actor 
whose name I still can't recall, but I know it's written in the notes somewhere. So mm-hmm. I'll find that when the proper time comes up. But uh, I loved his character so much in the, the television show Vikings that oh. I'm just glued to this guy uh, as an actor and as a character. And I thought he did. A, I thought he did pretty good throughout this stuff. And now you guys won't have to worry about it. He'll 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 be done after this episode. So well, who knows? Nynaeve could get upset again and then bring him back to, you know, heal him. <laughs> Perhaps so. Um, at any rate, while he's still alive, Steppen decides to get drunk, and then he uh, gets some uh, tea from Nynaeve, uh, who herself tries to offer him a little bit of sympathies. There's no better way of offering sympathy than saying, the pain never goes away, boy. <laughs> um so uh, clearly, you know, I love that that was kind of a moment from Naive that really that was about her moment at the Beltine Festival when she was putting her candles into the water um, because she was clearly very moved. So losing whatever, you know, those adopted parents or, or whatever, I thought that that was a great nod back to the fact that she's never gotten over them. Who knows how long they've been gone. Um, and after that, when he leaves... Uh, to wander out in the hall, um, she decides to follow him out, and Leandrin uh, finds her at the statues and offers her own thoughts on men and um, gives, I don't know, great gas station attended directions, uh, a version of directions through the, you know, all the White Tower local spots. Sure, just turn left over there. There's a library and just go past that. You're at the garden. And uh, did you guys find the dynamic between Leandrin and and I, Nynaeve, interesting. Did you feel a little bit of a, a beginning of a recruitment happening there? Go ahead, Bubba. What, oh, thank you, Catfish. What I would say is that that's what it feels like. It feels like Leandrin is trying to recruit Nynaeve, but there doesn't feel like much there yet. It's a very soft sell. It's not a hard sell. But what I will say is in a moment uh, a bit later on, we learn more about, oh, the Reds don't have warders. And Leandrin's like, you know, they're ready for battle, red versus blue. And Leandrin is a fascinating character. So we have this dark one out there. But what's funny is the ones I fear the most are those wicked as hell damn white cloaks. And then Leandrin looks like she could be a huge problem for our heroes. So I love it when the white cloaks are on the screen. And I love it when Leandrin's on the screen because it implies, oh, my goodness, we're going to have some tension. We're going to have some real stakes that I can understand. So Leandrin with Nynaeve, admittedly not so much. Leandrin with Moraine. And I'm like, oh, yeah, let's get it on. Right on. Catfish, any thought about uh, Leandrin and Naive there? Nynaeve? Pardon me. I mean, uh, Le- I, I, I'm with Bubba. Uh, Leandrin and Moraine. I mean, whoa, whoa. <laughs> and then later on, Moraine gets a little talking to by her friend. They've got a little mm-hmm. bedside chat. And she's like, uh, girl, that's what <laughs> ladies say to each other, especially powerful ladies. Girl, if you uh, don't want things to be taken over by uh, Leandrin and the Red Ones, you better stop tripping all around the world. I still feel like I'm, I'm and, and maybe it's just uh, there were things going on, but I still don't quite understand, if, maybe you can explain it to me, the, the full nature of their uh, disagreement as far as uh, how they want to move forward. That's interesting. I don't think that that's been spelled out completely yet, uh, but a good portion of their tension 
is the fact that Leandrin, to me, is just looking uh, for political gain. And that means, you know, the Reds, given their job, they do do a lot of traveling and that in mm-hmm. terms of okay. like looking f- looking for false dragons and that kind of thing, um, bringing them back for trial, except Leandrin didn't do that this time. And uh, I think that she feels like Moraine has – it's brought up a couple of times in this episode how Moraine's been away for so long mm-hmm. and these kinds of things. And I'm wondering if there's not some kind of a little bit of a resentment for that because it feels like a good portion of the sisters uh, outside if you're traveling to battle, if you're green, you travel to battle like they did to go get Loghain, or if you're tra- or, or if you're traveling to Gentle – or at least bring somebody back for gentling, then that's your reds. Uh, but all your blues are supposed to represent justice. To me, that implies uh, trial. Okay. Um, and so uh, you would think that their place would be more at home, where Logan was supposed to be brought back for his trial. Um, so that's what I I think uh, happens there. The problem is is that the sh- the show hasn't really explained any of this. I'm just kind of throwing all of these thoughts into your head, Catfish. Uh, which well, right, I know that's what books. I mean. If you're, I, I mean, there's usually if there is our political machinations, it's because people. It's not just for power. It's because I want our group to try to achieve these goals and you your group wants to achieve different goals and so that's right. what I, I wondered if i had uh missed that by not paying close enough attention to the show and she uh has a sort of you know holy war against men that would make sense i mean it's clear maybe she at is assuming at least it's been clear uh what moraine wants to do is that right. the idea is we're not going to get rid of the Dragon Reborn. We're going to foster, nurture, and remake the world. Now, Matt, do you assume when this character, and I'm going to butcher their name, uh, Sue Ann Sanchez, something like that? Swan Sanchez. Okay, yeah, I totally butchered that. So, sorry, give it to us one more time. Suan Sanchez? Uh, think, 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 think of it like the, like the frozen dinner, Suan Sanche. Sanche. Okay. Well, do you think they'll give some of us non-book readers <laughs> more of this more of this once once that character shows up? I think that it's very likely that we're going to see a lot more of the politics being played when this character shows up and okay. that it's not going to be that far away. Yeah, I, I would assume so as well. Now my most pressing question is what the hell frozen dinner are you talking about? Schwan? Oh, yeah. Swanson's Swanson's frozen. No, 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 no. There, there, there was a there's a delivery service in Missouri, and I don't know if they're out there or not. Oh, I don't think they're national. Of it. Never heard of okay. it. Okay, Swan you. Swan delivers. Uh, deliver. It's the, one of those old fashioned trucks that brings you know meat and and frozen things to to your house, and you buy them on subscription. No, no, no. Out out here in L.A., we only have parents deliveries. <laughs> I always get my meats delivered in a truck. <laughs> I actually subscribed to Schwantz for a couple of years. Hey, uh, um, Matt, this is another thing that just as a non-book reader, why was I so tough on this episode? We see Moraine after she has this discussion with another Aes Sedai. And, you know, you can tell she's feeling maybe a bit forlorn. She goes up to a wall and looks at a painting and 
you feel like as a non-book reader, like, oh, that must be really important. But of course, I have no context for it at all. So I'm like, I assume we'll find out about that in the future. So as a book reader, when you see Moraine go to her wall and kind of open up this little door so she can see this, what I assume is an image, does does that have greater bearing? Should we be paying attention to that? I'm very loath to commit to saying and to answering questions like that at this time until I'm, I, what I can say is I think that you'll know when I know. <laughs> okay, great, great. You know, listeners so, um, write in and tell us, well, no, you'd spoil it. Write in and tell us, you know, I've been real tough on the effects of the white tower and, and, and some of these story points about our RIP step. And if you love this, once again, please, no book spoilers, but pre, please, if you're watching this on YouTube, go down in those comments and tell us how you felt about it. Tell us what you think of these effects, because uh, we want to hear from you. We want this to be an interactive show. And if you're listening to this on an audio format, mm -hmm. please be sure to visit the YouTube channel. The Double P Media, that's the word double, the letter P, media, can be found at youtube.com slash C slash the word double, the letter P, media, all strung together. And you will be able to see the videos there and comment uh, below if you want to get your feedback to us more directly that way. We've been getting some great feedback there. You can also tweet to at Bust Blockbusters, which is at, or at Bust Blockbuster on Twitter. Not like the title of the podcast, but just the word bust and the word blockbuster put together. Or you can send emails to Matt's Audioblog at gmail.com, M-A-T-T-S Audioblog at gmail.com. We spoke a little bit about the conversation between Alana and Moraine. Um, now, she's made plans to make Step in her third warder. I mean, she's not greedy at all. Uh, when you consider that the other guys think that maybe at some point she might take 10. Uh, so she's just taking her fair share. Uh, evidently, uh, losing your Aes Sedai, according to Alana, is almost like swallowing that Aes Sedai's death. Uh, and then that kind of makes Moraine think about, do I want land to go through this? Uh, but Alana says, nah, you'll be fine. You don't need oh. to worry about that right now. Oh, but boy. at the same time, she says, the Amberlin Seat's gunning for you, and Leandrin's gunning for you, and everybody's gunning for each other. I mean, I think Moraine's making a, a, a smart plan there, uh, to be perfectly honest, if she truly cares about land. Uh, and the Amberlin Seat is going to be— I mean, if she truly cares about land, he should go first. <laughs> she should kill it. <laughs> that's true. In fact, that's a, that seems to be a water regret, right? That you outlive your Aes Sedai, never outlive your Aes Sedai, mm -hmm. kind of like never outlive your children, mm -hmm. um, which is weird. But, oh, man, I'm uh, outliving all my children. I am too. Uh, but the Amaranth Seat is going to be returning, uh -oh. uh, and she's uh, she summoned everybody to show up because she wants to know why uh, Loghain was gentled before the trial happened. Uh, and uh, also, there's more politics talk. Once again, that uh, Amarlin Seat's name, uh, and you guys can make fun of me for this pronunciation, but uh, Schwan Dinner Sanchez. Sure. And so, uh, but Moraine, uh, she doesn't like politics, uh, even though Leandrin is gaining political power. Um, and one of the things that I find interesting about this, guys, is that even... Alana herself keeps asking Moraine questions about where she's doing, uh, where she's been, what she's doing, uh, because nobody seems to know. It's almost mm. like Moraine is either on this rogue or secret mission. Do you guys get that impression when you watch? 
definitely secret mission is the vibe I'm getting. I don't think you have many Aes Sedai go completely rogue. I wouldn't be surprised if Moraine is on some mission to find the the dragon reborn from Schwanson's meat truck. <laughs> I feel like, I don't know whether she's on a secret mission, but a, you could tell there is a lot of um, and distrust for her. Okay. I distrust her too, to be honest Ooh. with you. Yeah. Well, uh, if you're okay with a new book reader, uh, excuse me, a non-book reader prediction, somebody tells Moraine, oh, you're going to be with us a long time. That's like the kiss of death. Then we have Land seemingly feel, having some sort of bond with Nynaeve. And, oh, is he going to have to have this same choice that our boy Stepin did where he loses his Aes Sedai and he has to say, hey, do I want to step and stab myself too? Or do I want to step in out with a new Aes Sedai in Nynaeve? It feels like that's what the show is trying to get me as a viewer to possibly see it as a foreshadowing event. Don't tell me if I'm right or wrong, but that's what the show felt like, especially when this person said, ah, Moraine, you're about to retire from the police force. <laughs> Go on your boat, live forever. Mm-hmm. Well, and Steppen is even setting up Lan and, and Nynaeve, evidently, because oh, yeah. as uh, Steppen's talking about his uh, potential future orgy with Alana and her crew, <laughs> uh, then he's uh, he's also talking to Lan about Nynaeve, uh, over the tea yep. that she gave him, which makes him pass out. Uh, and uh, that affords Stepan the opportunity to, you know, go off and, and, and be by himself uh, so that he can stab himself in the gut. Horrible. Hello, darkness, my old friend. You should have stopped and seen to rend. <laughs> <laughs> It's the sound of Cyan Schwanz. <laughs> Schwan. 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 <laughs> so Land wakes up and he notices yes. the ceremonial life missing. Uh, uh, the ceremonial knife missing. Mm. Uh, and the ceremonial life missing of Stefan. <laughs> and he puts the two of them together. Uh, puts two and two together. And he finds Stefan uh, way whoa. too late. Let's way not- too late. Yeah, you know why he found him too late? Because he ran really, really slowly. He ran at 700 frames per second. I, I, I was slightly confused and bemused by that the choice of slow motion for that part. Of, <laughs> I was like, why is this in slow motion? I'm sorry. I should be serious. We lost somebody. Pour one out for step. Nobody you cared about. Nobody so I really cared matter. about, but uh, somebody cared about him. Somebody, somebody cared somebody about did. him, uh, but uh, not not catfish. Uh, but yeah, at 700 frames per second, land finds Steppen, and then uh, we get to where we're going to a funeral scene where everybody beats themselves until they break their own clavicles, and. Uh, redness is all on that poor actor i hope that that was makeup catfish do you yeah. think that was makeup or do you think he hit himself he really got into his role there yeah it's makeup uh, he doesn't look very tough to me i could take him. oh ouch wow you heard it you heard it from a professional actor ladies and gentlemen uh no methoding in that particular scene at whatsoever um but 
that pretty much wraps up the story at the White Tower in Tarvala. Matt, can uh, I say that, you know, once again, I only gave this episode six out of ten. But one thing, uh, as a viewer, this is one thing I know about myself, that if an episode ends on a real high note, even if I didn't like so much of what happened in, in the bulk of the episode, if it ends on a real high note, you know, then it kind of raises the episode in my estimation. For me, I was so drawn in to the white cloak scene and, and some of the other oh, scenes. Oh, oh. The fact that, that that didn't end the episode, but instead this did, is another another thing maybe why I didn't connect with it. Once again, listeners, if you did connect with this passing of a warder, let us know. I'm just saying, and hopefully this is just me. Hopefully everybody loved it. But for me, that wasn't like how I would have ended the episode. I would have ended it uh, with the white cloaks in uh, parents, wolf powers going to town. I love, you know, that was for me like the holy smokes moment. Yeah. And it's the way that they split that particular storyline up, they could have put it anywhere. You're correct in that, Bubba. It could have just as easily been at the end as it, as it was where it was, um, except for maybe, you know, the fact that they decided to have land find Stepan at dawn, you know, and, and the okay, implication right, that, right, that right. Uh, you know, what happened with Perrin and Egwene happened at, during the course of a night. Yeah, but when he woke um, up, it was 3 a.m. It just took him four hours to get there. Well, it's slow motion. <laughs> always gets you. No, it's darn 700 frames per second rolls. Uh, do you guys want to talk about Rand and Matt next or Perrin and Egwene? If it's okay, I loved Perrin and Egwene's story once it got to the White Cloaks. That I'd love to save that for the end so we can end this podcast talking about stuff that, at least for me, I just thought was the best stuff in the episode. Hell yes, cosine. We'll make that our podcast finale for the recap then. And uh, we'll go to Rand and Matt. Uh one of my favorite characters because he's my namesake and and the other one uh one month later uh matt doesn't like kids anymore evidently uh he's throwing them down he's teaching them rough lessons he's giving them tough love if you know he always gave the kids love before um rand has seen this mountain before that's kind of strange and then uh they get to town Maybe he saw a picture or a painting or something. <laughs> uh, they get to town, and uh, Tom evidently up. is not only a great uh, a great singer and a great entertainer and a great gleeman and a great fade fighter, but he's also a really good travel agent. He's recommended a hotel to Rand and, and Matt um, when they had that conversation. Who knows? But Rand makes sure to uh, take a sample of everything uh, and get his spit all over it before offering any of it to Matt. He insists that Matt is dirty and he needs rest. Um, and there's all kinds of other things going on that I don't think I can say right now uh, to non-book readers. Uh, can, but Can I jump in then, if that's okay? Go ahead. Well, once again, I'm just going with the way the story is presented to me. And so I think about characters driving force. So Rand, who uh, we know your feelings on Double M, Rand, to me, his driving force has been, well, we've got to head to the White Tower because that's where Egwene is. That's where she was going. I want to see her. Uh, he was in love with her. He took their breakup, you know, a little rough. So when he suddenly gets to the White Tower and is like, eh, let's not just go there right now. To me, it's a, it's a disconnect. I'm like, this guy is being driven to see Egwene again. And now he can't see Egwene and he's like, no, I got to clean up. So, okay, okay. Maybe he's like, I, I don't want Egwene to see me 
with, you know, having road dirt from having walked for the last month and lived outside and be terrible. But still, to me, as a, as a viewer, I'm thinking, well, that should be his thing. Get me to a Gwaine, get me to a Gwaine, get me to a Gwaine. And instead, he's, you know, he's, he's get, jumping in a hotel, he's going to a bookshop, he's doing all these things. And so it was a disconnect in what I thought his driving motivation was. Now, that all could have been fixed had that been his eventual focus, but he's got a new focus, which is to try to help Matt. Right, but exactly. since he doesn't recognize anybody's needs but his own, oh. <laughs> that hasn't been – no, but, I, you know, uh, again, that that could be his temporary focus, but it doesn't seem like it is. So I completely agree with Bubba. It's kind of like – Let's rush, 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 and then okay, we're here. Let's uh, you know, let's check it out. You know, it's a big city. Let's uh, you know, well, there's this local parade happening. Let's watch the parade. I don't. I can see Egwene another day. Well, I I think one of the things that you guys are missing is that Matt is is actually leading a lot of Rand's actions here. Okay, uh, it's Matt who is very tired and. I, uh, as much as I, I hate to, I have to admit that Rand seems very concerned about his health. All right. Um, and then, uh, and then Matt seems to be uh, despondent and and needs rest very badly. So Rand leaves him alone uh, to get some rest. He's not going to go to the White Tower without him. Then it just so happens that he's in uh, the uh, the library there, and he meets Ogier. Well, hold on. Uh, it just so happens he's in the library. Well, I mean, what he's waiting on Matt to wake up. All right. But what he does is he finds out that Matt already has woken up, and and now he's got to go find Matt and try and bring him back. And maybe he could have suggested let's go to the White Tower. But Matt's <laughs> all this super kind of dark, saying, you know, you kill me, I kill you. We're all good. And yeah, wow. uh, and Rand's like, uh, Rand's like, you know, whoa, wait a minute, okay. I'll I'll promise, even though he's a liar, he's a coward, he will not kill Matt. He will not – he shouldn't even be making those kinds of promises, but he does. And so I think that Matt is leading a lot of the distraction away f- from Rand and that mission that you were speaking about, Bubba. Okay, I just, I, I just didn't read it that way, but I hope you did. That's good. One of the things that I, I found uh, interesting – uh, I had been waiting for this character to be introduced. I didn't know where, where or how they were going to do it. This, again, is one of those things where uh, it happened in another city. Uh, but we get to meet Aslan. Sorry, I mean Loyal. And, uh, you know, he's he's this old gear. Something that's very interesting, and I think you guys might want to talk about this, but Loyal, based on Rand's hair color, decides that he's an Ielman uh, from the Two Rivers, who insists that he's not an Ielman. So, <laughs> because Rand keeps saying, I'm not an Ioman, I'm, I'm from the Two Rivers. And, and this Olgir is saying, but your hair's red. Mm. Um, we met one before, not living, he wasn't breathing, but it was the one that Matt buried with Tom in, uh, what was that, episode three, uh, who also had red hair. Now, oh, okay. why, would, why would Matt, uh, and, and Tom identified him as, as an Ioman. Um, as him and Matt buried him or right before they buried him or right before Matt said, Hey, I'm going to take his jewel. Okay. And Tom said, yeah, I'll just turn around. But either way, 
so this is what the distinction is where we've heard that name before is the fact that uh, Matt knew who he was. Rand had no idea that any of this was going on because he was uh, busy being held by uh, Dana the Damsel, the Double D. So that's where all of that conversation comes from. Now, Rand also says that he thinks he's seen that mountain before. What do you think is going on here? Are they introducing things that make Rand more interesting? He'll never be interesting to me, obviously. No problem. But are they introducing anything, Bubba, that makes him more interesting to you in terms of these little things? I Once again, I think Rand is fine. I don't have the Rand hate. But it, thinks like, it feels like we're setting— Defend your words, feelings of, of hate right, about Rand. Right. We're, it feels like we're setting up more Rand backstory. Obviously, if he says, I've seen that volcano before, and, he's, and people are saying, oh, you look like an eye ailment. You don't bring that up in a story if it's pointless, right? It's it's we're gonna find out that whatever an I ailment really is, Rand is. We're gonna find out that yes, he's seen that mountain before. These are these are not. You, once again, you've got a a very limited amount of time in a television show, so you only want to bring up things if they truly do have a point. So, uh, uh, I assume this is things we're gonna find out, and they I assume they'll be important for Rand as moving forward. But uh, if you're asking me if I trust the Io- the Ogier, then yes, I do. You do trust the Ogier. Catfish, could this possibly just be a big, huge red herring? Oh, Ooh. God. Uh, I hope not. I'm with, I'm with Bubba. Y- you know, it feels to me, I read, uh, you know, before the show started, I read a review about the show that I thought, oh, that, that's kind of interesting. And, and, and what they were wh- what they were saying was, there's a lot going on that they don't explain, but they do explain things just about when you need to know them. Right. So, mm. um, you know, and I thought, oh, that's good and smart. And so there's a lot of mystery here. We're halfway through this season, and I feel like there's so many things that we don't don't know. And so all I'm asking for at this point, as they're spoon feeding me these things and we're getting stuff is that we, I have some stuff that I can really sink my teeth into. And so when I talked about how this is the, the, my favorite episode, it's because of this scene where we have a character that's light and it's completely understandable. As I said before, why we don't have a lot of light characters in this world. I mean, considering all the things that have happened to them, but we also have uh, the delicious white cloaks. And so there were two scenes in this episode that I, w- I was thrilled and delighted by. And this is this is one of them. I hope we see more of, of this guy, of Loyal. Loyal doesn't seem to not want to stay involved. Uh, he doesn't get his nose out of business because... Uh, he evidently gets a free pass into the the White Tower anytime he wants, and naturally, yeah, he's uh, cool, because he's cool, Matt. Because he's freaking cool. Because he's Aslan. You don't turn Aslan down anytime. And you see those hands. The- you put those hands around your neck, <laughs> oh, and it's yeah. like I would like to come into the White Tower. You say yes, followed by sir. That's probably true. Uh, Nonetheless, he insists he knows more about human hair than any other person because he goes and he finds Nynaeve in the garden and he just assumes that it's this Egwene that Rand was talking about because of the braid that she's wearing, brings her back and says, hey, look, I brought your person back. It's not his person, but it is an a person that they know. 
Close and, enough, uh, Matt. Close enough. Never close enough. One if you person ran. He's from so two picky. I'm surprised he didn't punch Ogier out or punch Loyal out for just you know not getting the right girl. But instead, he's happy to see Nynaeve. Yeah, and well, I'm I'm surprised that Gwyn hasn't got a restraining order out on him. Oh right. no. I'm kind of surprised by that too. I, I I'm kind of surprised by that too. Take anyway, a hint. I mean, you know, would you break up with me? And uh, anyway, there uh, go so, the downloads. They're just disappearing loyal. one by one by one. <laughs> loyal. <laughs> okay. You okay? Look what you did to Matt. Listen, we need Nynaeve. She can heal him. Yeah. Oh no, Matt's Nynaeve. got can, break bone she, fever. But she can't. She can't. Well, Nynaeve maybe could heal this mat, but she can't heal the mat that she needs to be tending to uh, because uh, the second that she tries to find, do any kind of diagnosis, uh, Matt snaps at her really bad. Great moment um, in a great moment in the, in an episode I'm tough on. I want to keep saying that that was a great moment where Matt doesn't want to show naive his tongue, this sickness. He has gone mad. Great dramatic moment. I thought it was really good too. In fact, I I'm just going to say this. I feel like, of all of the actors of our main cast, I feel like Barney Harris has done the most fabulous job with this Matt character. Hmm. Now, you may not understand some of the writing behind it, but I feel like that his acting has been absolutely fabulous. I don't know, Catfish, if you have a professional opinion about that or not. Uh, no, I, I, I think he's good. I mean, it, it's tough because we didn't really get a big baseline on these characters before so much stuff happened to them that they kind of got twisted out of shape. And so Matt is... Uh, He's not having a good month. Walk it off. Oh, he did. <laughs> he tried to walk it off. He certainly did. He tried to walk it off. It didn't seem to help. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, uh, Matt gets snappy with her. And then uh, Rand tells her about what's been going on with Matt, tells Nynaeve about this. And he asks if they can trust Moraine. Is this the person you want to ask if they can trust Moraine? Uh, she says that they'll figure it out. Uh, all on their own. Uh, and then, uh, in order to make Rand feel better about whether Egwene is still alive or not, tells a horrific story about a horrific fever uh, that uh, Egwene evidently s- survived at like age 10. Um, that's that's a way of, I guess, double R-ing, uh reassuring Rand uh, that Egwene, Egwene will, will make it to Tarvalin. Um, and that's kind of the end of their storyline at the moment, uh, while all of the suicide stuff is happening. That's a double S happening over at the uh, White Tower. Let, so, me, let me have uh, a non-book reader prediction for this section. Okay. Well, obviously, the idea that Nynaeve and Rand won't take Matt to the White Tower is, of course, the wrong move. And it's not until they take him to the White Tower that he'll be able to be cured of this uh, terrible possession or whatever it was that happened when he touched that uh, cursed knife. Bubba, let me ask you a question. Sure. Just because you were out there making predictions, and I love your predictions so good. How long do you think they will play with this? It could be any of the five. Are we talking years? Oh, wow. Are we talking I would. the end of this season? Years? I would. Well, I I would. On last week's podcast, I said that what I kind of hoped is that Nynaeve wouldn't be one of the five and that we could have a twist of of this fist person being someone else we have to go out and find. And a reason why we could leave the White Tower and have more adventures uh, out in this magical fantasy land. And so I wouldn't think we're going to know 
Uh, I'll say season, I think at the very end of season two, that's when I'd reveal it. Okay. So that's my guess. Because no matter who it is, this group, the rest will stay with them uh, to assist them in their, uh, whatever they're doing. Ooh, ooh. Or, or right. do you see the drama of four close friends who suddenly three of them have to fight and, and take down the one of their good friends because they've been touched with the one power? I, I think there are a lot of different ways you could go with the story. Wow. So, uh, that'd be great. The only thing I hope is that whether if Matt, Matt get cured, that he still holds to his promise to kill Rand. Right. <laughs> is, remember Wait, what, what are you, you said. doing with that knife over I'm me? I'm remembering while what you said, Matt. Catfish, I, I like the fact that no matter how cured Matt ever gets, um, he will keep his promises. So, I mean, how about yeah, this? I, the Matt, I like Matt because Matt was like, my parents are horrible. I'm the one who's got to take care of the kids. Mm. So he's a good, he's a good dude. He, he, no, 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 no. Uh, he, he, I've been the one who takes care of the kids by stealing an innocent woman's bracelet. We need tougher law enforcement and more cops on the street of Two Rivers. <laughs> I think we need. I think for right now, for Two Rivers, we need a repopulation plan. <laughs> I don't think we need to worry about the streets let's, being let's um clean. Let's send in some disaster relief. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> some people to dig some ditches. What, listen, the Trollocs will get those human beings dealing <laughs> d- digging ditches real soon. <laughs> <laughs> mm, and on to Perrin and Egwene. Let's Love go. it. Uh, Let's do this. Bubba and Catfish's favorite segment, evidently. And Hell yeah. after uh, another, you know, violence philosophy lesson between Perrin and, and Aram. Uh, Perrin and Egwene, uh, they see the Empire State Building. They're very happy that they've finally arrived at the Big Apple. And the the questioner all of a sudden shows up and he stops the Tuathan and recognizes Egwene and Perrin. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. This leads Ruh-roh. to an MLK-style resistance happening, which didn't work any better than, um, than unfortunately some people got treated back in the 60s. And oh, man, I, I saw this as, as not that very important MLK movement. I just saw this as like cops beating up hippies. That's what I saw. I did see it as a 60s thing, but I saw it as the cops beating up the hippies. And, um, uh, you know, maybe they could have sat, had a sit, sit down. Uh, but, you know, before we even even go further into this story, the one thing I think these white cloaks are great villains. They're kind of even more understandable, tangible villains than the Dark One and the Trollocs, which you know kind of seem like a, a, a just a, a fantasy force you would see in a lot of ways. But to me, the fact that wait a minute, these are white cloaks who seemingly want to kill Aes Sedai, who are right there outside the White Tower. If you want to kill Aes Sedai, dude, go. You know where they are. They're right there. But you're out here, you know, within. Well, they got to they got to pick them off one by one. You see what happens when the ice die to get together in a group. They will, they will, they will wreck yours. Well, why don't what, you don't think somebody would say, "Hey, uh, I was a I was a mile out of town and I saw a bunch of white cloaks." You don't think the ice die would then come out of the white tower and say, "Okay, enough of this," especially my, especially well, my, it was yeah, you know, you're right. Leandrin, Leandrin would come out and say, "Here, I got to clean these woods of this scummy white cloak guys." Well, didn't um, I'm trying to remember because didn't Moraine saw 
our boy with a bunch of rings, right? So she oh, yeah. she she knows for sure these white cloaks are after the Aes Sedai. So one thing that's not clear to me, well, two things that aren't clear to me is where did the, kind of the white cloaks get their power from and why are they after the Aes Sedai? So in other words, in this world, I don't know who's in charge. I know we have the Aes Sedai. And they've got their own stuff. And we, I've got the white cloaks. And I mean, sure, you know, the fact that they have this power means they can do it. But like, like who's behind the white cloaks and, and what is their what is their goal? Is there is their goal to take care of the Aes Sedai or is this just as a special, special project <laughs> by our by our boy? Child Valda. That's, that's um, a very interesting prospect that you bring up there, Catfish. And um Let's look back at the very first episode when okay, Moraine and Lan arrive. These mm-hmm. are a single person in that room once when they know that she's an Aes Sedai that looks at her like they trust her in, that, in two rivers. That's a good point. Good point. So okay. this is where a play, a, a radical or not, this is how uh, an organization like the Children of the Light get their rise to power. Because nobody trusts these Aes Sedai. Okay, so that that's that's fine, and I appreciate being shown and not told. But because we as viewers see what Moraine does and know that she's that at least we're kind of led to trust her, then I, it wasn't clear to me that like the view of them out uh, in the outside world was untrustable and that they needed to be hunted down and that. Right. I, can I piggyback on what you're saying, Catfish? In yeah. That, how about this? We suddenly meet up with a group of Aes Sedai in episode four. And yes, they are controlling a, a, a person. They've locked a person up who is, they claim is a false dragon, but we saw how powerful low gain was. And so as a viewer, I'm like, I even said on last week's podcast, you know, maybe it's it, it's going to hurt him, but this one power is dangerous. Yeah, gentle this guy. So once again, I, I so far, even Leandrin, who, who wanted to gentle him, I kind of understood her reasoning. And so I guess I need more reinforcements of why the common man in this land would distrust. I, I need more of that shown to me. And once again, not told, I'd love to see it shown to me. And then I could go, oh, okay. I understand why a force like the White Cloaks could arise in the world. That's understandable. I can't. All I can do is just point out what the show has shown, and and yeah, no, know. that's good. Well, but I mean, I think I mean I don't think it would be out of bounds for you to speculate or straight up tell us that like the white the White Cloaks are more accepted for for what they're doing, and they have an approval for this. And, and not that they're just like this renegade group. Okay. The best way I can put it to you, Catfish, is essentially think of them like the Holy Crusaders. They are an army to enforce a religious cause. And their okay. religious co- cause is saying that this power that these people wield, as, as the questioner explained in this episode, at least from his point of view, remember, because it is a religious thing in some ways they're going to be extremists also so is the questioner an extremist or is he just is that just part of the book i don't feel it's my job to reveal that unless the show does 
But I, I on the other hand, uh, one of the things that the questioner says is nobody should have a hold of this power. Not men, not women, nobody. This power belongs to a, a higher power than us. And we are here to make sure that humans don't mess with it. So, All right. yeah, I, yeah, and I got that. But the idea, well, I don't know. And I think it's fine. I don't know if these white cloaks are supported by the common man or are they crusaders who just went and did it because they wanted to do it that way. And, and that's fine. We'll, we'll find out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can look at it anyway, from either yeah. viewpoint. Um, you know, some people, once they are you know, subjected to certain things. It is the mistrust of the Aes Sedai and the two rivers a result of white cloaks coming around and saying their thing? Or, right. or is it because, simply because the two rivers haven't done anything except heard stories about Aes Sedai that may have happened near Tar Valon or wherever, where a questioner was demonstrating the, the, the dangerous powers of an Aes Sedai? We don't know that yet at this point. And I think it's a good that right. you guys bring this up. Okay. Um, well, I'll say this. I, so I don't know how powerful the Aes Sedai are in the world. And I don't know how powerful the White Cloaks are in the world. But I know how powerful the Leaf people are. And that is <laughs> not. Oh, man. They are not powerful. They are the most powerful people in the world. Because uh -huh. two people, they're going to change the world. One person, two people at a time. By no, teaching I think their ways. What, I think what she said was we're going to change the world in about 10 generations. Oh, more yeah. like 10,000 generations. Needs, but, oh, okay, 10,000 generations. But, well, I was just throwing a number that, out there. That's season but five. That, that's season that's season 1531. But yeah. the the whole idea, is, it's, the, it's, a, it's the most powerful thought in the world, and that is just give peace a chance. Just give peace a chance, man. I mean, that's all yeah. you got to do. Well, they gave it a chance, and uh, they got their asses whooped. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> that they did. That they did. Uh, and after that happens, uh, Gwen gets a, a sinful scrubbing, and that's uh, uh, terrible. Oh, terrible. Oh, my God, just terrible. But that, of course, I'm, I'm saying terrible, but I'm also saying that's what makes these guys such good villains. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Great. That was just, just so that she could be questioned. They had to just uh, – Well, they had to was, put her in white too. Yeah. Yeah, that was – Enough of your heathen colors. Oh, Yeah. Uh, it, it was very, uh, it, it was just disturbing all around for me, um, to see Egwene, poor Egwene go through that. Then parents brought in, uh, and, uh, they lay him out kind of in a inverted Han Solo style so that they can do stuff on his back instead of his chest from Empire Strikes Back. Uh, Egwene, uh, pleads with Child Valda. Oh, it's so good the way he's like, I'm not powerful. And the way he when he says, "Call me child Valda." Oh my oh, God, man! The power he displays while claiming he's not powerful. Oh, he's delicious, Team Valda. Yeah, Abdul Abdul Salas is his name, and you know you were talking about great acting. This guy mm -hmm. hasn't appeared much, but in his short appearances, you don't want to mess with this guy. I, yeah. I think he's done a great job. I think so too, Bubba. I, I agree with you completely there. You uh, know what though? And what I like about this guy is. He travels on the road, but his he's spotless. always very, he's spotless. Uh, he eats very well, mm. and he likes a good campfire. Oh, I was gonna say he's a picky eater. <laughs> From episode one, always a good campfire. 
Yep. Oh my god. Oh yeah. He, he, he. I used to die in some marshmallows. Let's do this. <laughs> uh, I loved the exchange between him and Egwene. Where he's like, well, I know you're not Aes Sedai because you can't lie the way they twist their words. And she says, oh, well, you're a white cloak. You're not supposed to hurt common people. And he's like, yeah, I'm not hurting common people. I'm hurting you. Oh, I mean, there was delicious, great scene. Great scenes, I should say. Yeah, his whole idea, again, a demonstration of extremism. Uh, is this guy kind of rogue within his own organization? He seemed to be very tolerated by the guy that was headed down to Gildon, or Geldon, or however you say that name, country name that I still haven't learned after two episodes. First of all, if he was a bad guy, he would have killed both of them. But he gave him a choice. Come on. <laughs> right. Come on. Very merciful. Look, and, and he even likes games. I mean, he did try to play tic-tac-toe on parents' back. Um, not exactly sure who... Who he was playing? Uh, maybe he was just playing a game for himself. But all of that looked painful. And yes. as he does this, what happens to Perrin's eyes? They start to, the irises start to look kind of like wolf irises. Would you guys say yeah. oh. yellowish for oh. sure? Wow. Okay. Um, he sort of he sort of bows up a little in the first scene when he gets cut. Yep. Uh, does it relief the uh, doesn't go full wolf though until the second no. scene? Exactly, yep. exactly. And uh, as in, in the in between time, as Child Vada did give them uh, a lot of respect by giving them a chance to decide for themselves who would die. Exactly. Uh, you know, good old uh, Team Trolloc is is behind that noble gesture there of Child Vada, and I I believe that uh, you know they start to talk it out. Both of them are willing to sacrifice themselves. Uh, parents' whole bit about what happened uh, with his wife oh, yeah. comes out to Egwene, uh, and that's one of the reasons why he's willing to sacrifice himself. He looks like he's, he's punishing himself for what happened to her. And I was under the impression in an earlier episode that she kind of already knew. Obviously, I was wrong about that. She did not know no, because she seemed why very shocked. She have- how would she have known? Well, I guess she – they kind of explained it in this episode that she just assumed that, that the Trollocs had killed. There was one time when they were at the wagons right after – I think it was Isla who gave them the talk about the axe and all of that stuff. And they all started to walk uh, where Egwene kind of grabbed his arm. And I was wondering if that was an allusion to the fact that you know Isla had said – doesn't something terrible always happen after you grab an axe? And uh, I thought that maybe she kind of knew at that at some point off camera he had told her, but it made it much better a much better payoff for him to tell her on camera, uh, obviously. So uh, that was all very dramatic and everything. Uh, and then Child Faldo returns, and that's when Perrin goes full wolf guy, and and uh, totally freaks. Valda out. He's never seen anything like this before, evidently. Um, that's not, we should, I should back up just for a second because, you know, uh, Egwene's double F was horrible. Her flimsy, double F? Flimsy fireball. Oh and, my God. Oh my God. Yeah. Hilarious. Yeah. Poof. <laughs> uh, so uh, I loved how he just kind of laughed that off, but then he saw some real power and it scared the crap out of him. Uh, so that gives Egwene a chance to use her one power to actually burn her bonds uh, and grab that knife and stab him in the back. 
Um, yeah, yeah. Can I say that child Valda, real quickly, learned from Perrin, who's your daddy? <laughs> and then Egwene gave him a, a slice of his own medicine. Ooh. Oh, yes. Oh, man. I tell you, though, I would have given this episode a negative rating if they had killed off child Valda. Thank you, no. sweet Jesus. He's just injured. And now, oh, he's not going to mess around anymore. Before, he was going easy. Well, we don't know that he survived. I mean, he's probably survived that stabbing. But Did he survive the wolves? He yeah, did he survive the wolves? Uh, that's an excellent I'm, question. I'm, I'm boycotting this show if he's no longer in it. Damn it, oh, he's the when, best. You've been looking when for an Perrin excuse to get out of up. podcasting on this. For, no, he's man. the best. I love him. When uh, Perrin so leveled good. up and released the wolves on those mofos, I was so happy. I was like, yes, it's, it's, eat them. It's dinner time. As, Let's go. As soon as all of that craziness starts happening and, and the, uh, the Baja Men video starts playing, uh, <laughs> then, uh, you know, uh, parents, uh, double F's, the feral friends, they just off all of these children of the light and, uh, that allows them to seemingly escape. So you have to assume that they are now headed to Tarvalin themselves. Uh, oh, yeah. so that kind of wraps up that storyline. I kind of went through it rather quickly. Bubba, is there any points about it, uh, that we haven't discussed that you want to talk about it? No, I'll do one of my famous to myself, non-book reader predictions. So these tinkers, these peace-loving people, we're going to see them again. They will come back around. Maybe maybe not this season, but we're going to see them again. And the bond that they've had with Perrin and Egwene will pay off later on. Uh, That's going to take them a prediction. few episodes to heal up, for God's sakes. <laughs> 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 they just got the snot beat out of them. Show up right at the end of episode eight. Hey, here we are. It's great. They had to spend three days cutting down trees for so right, 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 build right. crutches for themselves. The four wood, the four or five reborn dragons. Moraine brings them out to a field and says, "Okay, we need to t t test your powers on fighting some people." There's no one here. Hey, it's us, the Tinkers. Uh oh. <laughs> oh. Oh man. I don't know what's worse than that joke. Uh, oh no. You guys want to play a game of what's worse? Oh yeah, let's do it. All right. What's worse? This is where we play high school debate team. Uh, somebody asks a question. The other two people argue it fervorously. They have to argue opposite sides. And since we have three of us, this will be fun. Catfish will ask a question. Right. Bubba and I will argue, and then we'll just rotate from there. Uh, Catfish, do you want to bless us with your question first? Absolutely. All right. This, this is a tough one. Tough one. What's worse, being forced to address a grown man as child or being upset over a free salon style exfoliation. Oh. These are both things uh, dealing with Igwen. Yes. Um, I will go first, Bubba. Sure. I say that uh, being forced to call a grown man a child is worse. This is naturally uh, because the, uh, the grown man obviously uh, has some issues downstairs. 
and uh, doesn't wants to make sure that that's out front, obviously, and that's nothing but gross to a woman in terms of being insulted in that way uh, to have to to have to tell a man um, that he just doesn't measure up. Uh, it doesn't work at all. What do you say, Bubba? I say that that was a waste of thirty seconds because it's worse. To be upset over a free salon-style exfoliation. Why? Now, let me say, Egwene, why are you complaining? And I found out in a cutscene. You, have you watched those cutscenes on Amazon in a YouTube Prime video that they show uh, cutscenes? So, Egwene, they take off her clothes, they exfoliate all her skin and scrub it off. And she's like, guys, I'm in a fantasy show. I'm getting exfoliated. And you didn't have the you didn't have the decency to play some of that Enya music that you hear at the spa. That's that complaining about that, Egwene. Not cool. Well, we're going to put it on a poll so that our folks can decide the extreme right decision, which is, of course, mine. But Catfish, if you had to judge between these two arguments, who would you say won? I mean, it, it, Bubba, Bubba brought, you know, Bubba brought the, uh, you know, uh, special extra scenes into it. And so obviously with the, that extra knowledge, he wins. No, no. I see. He I needed to do more I think research. It's because he, he couldn't do, do it canonically. Now. He couldn't argue it canonically. I mean, extra scenes, deleted scenes, those aren't part of the story. Well, also, you said canonically rather than canonically. And so I'm going to give it to Bubba just for that. Oh, well, thank there you, you go. so there much. With the money I've won from this, I'm going to go to Spas Seidel. I'm going to have the the whole works done, a mani-pedi. I'll be gone all day. Oh, my God. They put that nice robe on you. You feel Dying. fresh. Yeah, of course. Jeez, holy cow. Yes. Excellent. Awesome. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Bubba, you ask a question next. Well, guys, in uh, this is for listeners, too. Please, listeners, write to us. We need your feedback on what's worse. And so I trust these guys to give me two answers, but I need you listeners to answer the polls at Bust Blockbuster on Twitter. So what's worse, being an ogier or looking at an ogier? Matt, I'm going to let you go first. This is your podcast. <laughs> I mean, what have I been doing this whole podcast? Looking at an ogier is definitely worse. Um, <laughs> that hurts so much. I mean, so my gosh, Aslan, uh, just just go back to Narnia and leave us alone here in this world of the Wheel of Time because uh, your your face makes zero sense. Um, you talk. I know. I know that uh, you've implied that humans are very fast compared to your way of living. You only seem to have three generations in your whole family, which means you've That's been it. there a long time. Matt, you fell right into my trap. Oh, uh -oh. I was hoping you would say that because here you are. You're a friendly, sweet ogier. Someone comes in. They're yep. talking to you. Yep. Uh, you give them a lot of good information. And then uh, as they're walking out, they say to themselves, you know what? The worst thing that could have happened to me happened to me. I had to look at an ogier. And they say <laughs> it right there while you're still in the room. Oh, the man. worst thing that happened to them was looking at you. Ouch. So clearly being an ogier and having to deal with people's hurtful sayings uh, <laughs> is worse. Thank you. Fell right into my trap. Uh, Bubba. He's uh, over it. Ah! 
Bubba, is there even a need for the decision? Is it, do you even need to make a decision here? Is it well, pretty much implied? Matt, listen, I am your loyal <laughs> podcasting friend. And so I will not choose a side in this. I'll let our viewers decide. Oh, and our what a loyal chicken. listeners. What a chicken. Uh, don't even know a braid from a, an eye eel here. Anyway, uh, that's great. I'll ask the next question. Uh, At Bust Blockbuster on Twitter will be uh, the polls. You get three what's worse questions this time. Folks, that's like, you know, 50% more than you normally get each week. I love it. Be sure to vote. Yeah. Uh, And uh, let's see. My question shall be trying to protect a potential novice from politics by locking her away in a warder's quarters or inviting an ogre to the White Tower just so he can steal away that protected novice. Mm. Well, I will pick a side, and I have a very strong feeling, but only about one part of it. And my strong feeling is that it's worse to have to say warder's quarters too often because that is a tongue twister. And Mm. so, you know, locking her away in the warder's quarters – Marauders, yeah, we uh, marauders are going for the warders' quarters. Uh-huh. That is worse. Ooh. Wow. All right. Well, I'm going to say then that inviting an ogier to the White Tower just so he can steal away the novice is worse. Um, because so? it's a novice. <laughs> Who cares? We got a million of them. <laughs> yeah, because you should have invited him in. <laughs> oh no! You yeah. should have invited him in to steal Rand. That's what you should have done. So it's not that you invited him to steal someone away. You invited him in to steal away the wrong person. You know what? Worse. Listen to me. Worse. No, no, no. When you've got orgors, when you have orgors at Warders Without Borders, that's when, <laughs> that's when it's worse. Listen, uh, this yes. was a tough decision to make, but yep. simply because... I feel like that Catfish is my partner in crime in the Rand hate. I have to go with him. However, folks, my decision is not final. It is up to you to vote Mm -hmm. by uh, going to at Bust Blockbuster on Twitter and voting on the polls. They come out right after the podcast does. I tell you to listen to the podcast and then decide for yourselves. Decide for the rest of us. And you guys have been chiming in a lot with feedback so let's talk about some of that. I just yeah. have a couple of quick thanks to talk about. First of all, to Hamlet is Dead uh, for Ooh. all the retweets that they've been oh, doing. Hell good yeah. old double L. Double a loyal, loyal listener. listener. Yes, exactly. And uh, also to uh, a, a new listener who's being very loyal, although he's he's definitely a loyal listener to the uh, Double P podcast uh, feed, to the Double P Media, to Double P HQ on Twitter. That's the word double, the letters PHQ on Twitter. He's been very loyal to all of us here, and he always enjoys uh, being my foe on the internet. Oh, no. Is, is it, it's your nemesis, Matt? It is. My nemesis, Patman, oh, has returned. Cow. But he's been praising the podcast. That's a Double Ooh, P. And he's you, been uh, sharing it with uh, oh. fellow people who've been asking them. So thank you very much, Patman, for doing that. That is a serious nemesis behavior. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to get back to lambasting him in just a little bit. Well, uh, well, when they hear what you guys said about Rand, it will be uh, nemesis behavior. So, oh, I, is Patman team Rand? <laughs> that would make him my nemesis. Oh, here we go. Patman, Patman's making enemies everywhere. Oh, yeah, I know. That's what he does uh, because he's just so darn nice. 
we got a review also on the podcast app. By the way, folks, yeah. we are now your 49th favorite podcast talking about Wheel of Time on Apple Podcasts. That's out Holy of about cow. 15 shows actively talking about the television show. Wow. We are number 49. So thank you very much. We'll, we're on the way up. And we're going to reach the White Tower and then we'll be number one. If you keep giving us great reviews like we got from Yup OK. Yup, okay, did give us a great review. Five stars, double Ooh. M, Master Magician. I love a good review that mentions me. Yeah. Uh, wait a minute, a Master music, Magician. That may not be me, it's just a double M. Uh, I thought they meant Matt Murdock. Anyway, always a great show, no matter the topic. Thank you so much, Yup, okay, who's Thank left you multiple so much, reviews. Yep, okay. Yeah, we, we appreciate the multiple reviews across all of the Double P podcasts. Um, we're going to be talking about a couple of those at the end of this podcast. As I mentioned, we put things up on polls, Ooh. ladies and gentlemen. Oh, wow. Ooh, I and can't wait we have, for the poll results. We, we have lots of polls to talk about this week because I got a little crazy with them. Uh, first of all, we got to answer our what's worse questions from last week. What's worse, seeing the little girl who reminds you of your sister when the little girl is murdered or being or. a grown man and accepting a doll, a, a, a doll from that same little girl? And 1,600 of you. On the 100 wow. Twitter voted. 1,600 wow. of you on the 100 Twitter voted. It's yep. almost like 12 out of 16 of you voted for seeing the girl murdered. Uh, that's mm. another victory for Bubba. I think I'm O for whatever. Love that. Uh, o for the entire podcast. Yeah, I went uh, with 75%. child murder. That was, that was my uh, winning move. Yeah, when you go for for <laughs> child murdering, not just uh, your winning move, wins. but it feels like it's your go-to move. To be honest, <laughs> you gotta do point. it. Yeah. You gotta do. It. <laughs> the next what's worse poll came in: uh, going mad from being able to channel that one power, or going mad because the gentling took that power away. Uh, Thirteen hundred votes on this one. It's almost like ten out of thirteen of you voted for madness from gentling over wow. madness from channeling. So well, let's 13. just say 10 out of every 13. Yeah, that's of, the way I think. No, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I prefer like to just let you know 13. that it's almost like 10 out of 13 yeah. of you. But just say for. every. Mm -hmm. I yeah. think every. I think our my meth argument really won this last week. So thank you, listeners. The meth argument uh, did work. Speaking of which, yeah. uh, there was another poll that was put out. Another uh, poll. It was a very close poll. Uh, it was almost like seven out of 13 of you, uh, <laughs> out of the 1,300 of you that voted, uh, yes. decided that neither Matt nor Bubba know way too much about meth. Oh. Uh, so uh, I, I feel like I my credibility needed. is shot now, Bubba. It, it's shot. I was needed on that podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it would have raised our credit, our meth credibility meth up. Yeah, but, uh, uh, knowledge for sure. <laughs> hey, hey, we had a, fi a, a final poll this week, Matt. Tell me, Bubba. Do you know that I have been asking for weeks? I'm like, as a non-book reader, is this Rand hating a thing? Should I start hating Rand? What's going on? And so on our Twitter account, at Bust Blockbuster, we asked you loyal listeners, n does not... You know what? Be very yeah, careful so about how you phrase this because I'm not sure how it was phrased. Yeah, it was, I think that may say. have affected the results. I completely <laughs> Absolutely. So I think what the poll is trying to ask you listeners was, does nobody, no one, not a single soul, 
hate Rand, except for our double M host, Matt Murdock. So, so the idea is nobody hates Rand except for Matt. And would you believe that this was a very close vote? Because would- you shouldn't believe that. It wasn't close. 69% said Matt is the only person who hates Rand, while a very strong 31% said no, other people besides Matt hate you. You know what? I'm wow. going pro- to protest this. I need to go to the Supreme Court. I don't like Uh-oh, the way this we- question was answered. I feel like this question should be asked again Yeah. in a more clear fashion. No. Not, no, not no. a it single can't soul be any hates clearer. Rand. Yes or just no, say, except Matt. I don't count as a soul. You think I have only, a soul, Catfish? Come on. Do other people besides Matt and Catfish hate Rand? That's a more clear question. Uh, no, no, no. I, you've, you've lost me with the question. How about, how about this? How about okay, you say, sure. do you hate Rand? <laughs> no. We don't want no, to no, pry no. into we, people's personal we're, lives we're and trying, beliefs. We're trying to – we do not want to lead our voting audience here. And so no, I, did, I want to know the answer. honest answer to that question and nah. that there's no question there. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's never a question in these polls. Okay. Uh, All right. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, is that 1,600 of you on the 100 Twitter did chime in, and it's oh. almost like 11 out of every 16. Did Man, I do I'm that so right? Glad you 11 right. out of yeah, every 16. Every is important. That, it's every, every is important. Hey, yeah, we got okay. other feedback on Twitter on our at bus block right. account. I love it. Every time I, I, every time I see this guy's face. Uh, show up on my notifications feed. I, I just screenshot it real quick, po- put it up on, on the doc so that everybody else can read it. Catfish, could you please just tell me what my nemesis Patman said this time around? Patman, Patman always reaches out with good stuff. Uh, he said, I'm still listening to the episode four podcast. Whoa. thought it was an excellent episode of Wheel of Time. He has two yeah, notes. Not the podcast. He said the, the uh, oh, excellent episode exactly. of the show. He said, yeah. "Excellent episode of the show." Well, he's still listening to the podcast. I he res, he reserves the right to uh, withhold judgment until the the podcast is done. Yeah. He has two notes. Matt keeps calling Perrin's wife Lena when I think it's Layla. He says, "Layla." Be wrong. Yeah, I'll think Eric Clapton from now on. Patman, sorry about that. Uh, so he was right about that. He says Bubba has once or twice conflated the Dark One as being the dragon. Tom's song in episode three was probably about the dragon and not the dark one. I'm not a book reader, just working with what I think is going on. I'm not saying Bubba is literally thinking the dark one is the dragon. Just as there's some looseness when he says dark one, I think he means a previous dragon. Oh, I love that 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 instructive feedback. Thank you so much, Matt. I, I, I'm sorry. Thank you so much, Pat. I think that's uh, uh, you're correct. He also said, uh, I love the press conference with Coach T, Coach Trollick. I prefer Coach Trollick. Mm. And the commercial for Loghain, the dial one, one, one power made me laugh. That was great. And then, well, he's got, he's got uh, some feedback regarding episode 105, uh, Mm. uh, the show, not the podcast, because we're recording the podcast right now. And unless he has any dark powers, he hasn't heard it yet. And he says, it seemed like the story slowed down a pace, especially after the events of episode four. But maybe yeah. that's OK, because the grieving process was important to address. The White Cloaks are the worst. I'm now an Ogre fan. OK, Ogier fan. All right. Mm. So obviously when he said the worst, he means the best as far as the White Cloaks go. Right. The, the White, White Cloaks, cloaks are, are the, the best part of the show. 
but what they do is the worst. And that's what, what makes them great. Right. Agree to disagree. Yeah. Uh, once again, Patman has proven himself to be my nemesis by uh-huh. approving of old gears. And uh, if you, if if you want to if you want to do the Narnia thing, Patman, that's fine with me. I totally All right. Well, we got a whole uh, heck of a lot of uh, Pat. Patman goes up front um, where he uh, deserves to be, but we got a whole lot of other uh, feedback as well. Uh, you guys want to uh, take some of the YouTube stuff? Yeah. Can you believe that MJ Daniel wrote on YouTube that he says or she says they wrote. I have read the series more than once, and I really like the show. MJ, okay. that is exactly what I wanted to hear. That you, Thank you, listeners. If you feel the way MJ does, please shoot us that feedback. Exactly. And Double Null, t- <clears throat> Double Null Test Channel uh, says, I'm thinking Loghain is a good guy. There you go. Mm. Exactly correct, Double Null Test Channel. I don't know about that. All he did, all he did was try to save the world, not break it. <laughs> and look what happened to him. He was he was able to resist all of those imaginary former dragons in his head. He uh, was able to do the right thing and heal that king. And uh, he was going to he was going to do nothing but good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Karene made that choice. She didn't have she could have let it just all go down equally where he killed all three of them. But no, she had to shield the other two. Uh, and, and that's so Karina really wrote her own sentence, death sentence in regards to that. Loghain mm. is the proper dragon reborn in my okay. opinion. Well, he's kind of mush now, but he used to be the proper dragon reborn. Hey, I want to go to this feedback from Priscilla who wrote, thank you for dropping by my live YouTube show. Oh, Priscilla, we loved it. Everybody check out Priscilla dash a Maldita on YouTube. She has a great uh, show about Wheel of Time in a special language that I don't speak too well, but it was still fun to be there. She said uh, she was just hanging out with her subs, and then uh, Matt and I appeared. What a cameo. Priscilla also says that for the Rand haters, she says she loves the segment. Yeah! Yes. There you go. I think Matt, Matt should be the Rand hater this episode, and she means Matt with one T, the character. And she because, also means episode four. Yes, because Rand went there and opened his heart, and Matt went, er, okay, talk about shade. Bring the shade. Heck yeah. Bring the shade. Priscilla wraps up by saying BT Dubs, Steppen is played by Finnish actor Peter Franzen, who is killing it, as always. But <laughs> he's killing in this episode. It. Yeah, killing his character. <laughs> yeah, he killed literally it. killing this episode. Uh, Matt Larson. Uh, also is a Rand hater contributor now. Oh, wow. Matt, we appreciate you coming on and, and giving these. For episode one, the narc who lost his keys to the rented cabin. <laughs> for episode two, homeless bats. Oh, yes, God. they should hate Rand for spitting them out. Yeah. Uh, episode three, Breen Springs Tinder users. <laughs> <laughs> Our okay. final bit of feed, our final bit of feedback on YouTube is from Matthew Ambrose, who wrote, "The f, leave my boy Rand alone. He's my favorite characters from the books, so I gotta defend him. You defend him, Matthew. Heck yeah, Matthew, you are dead to me. 
Oh, but please come back Matthew. and listen to the podcast and watch the videos. And we love you. Thank you so much for commenting. We really do like you. Matthew, really. I love it. I love it, Matthew. Just keep reminding me of the good stuff that he does. Or tell me, because I have, I'm not recognizing it. I'm willing to be told I'm wrong. Bubba tells it to me every time I talk to him. <laughs> I know. I text. I call him in the middle of the night in case he forgot. <laughs> yeah, you know, just yeah. gotta keep gotta keep reminding him. Moving on to music, it's Bustin' Balf, another double B. Uh, just got a nice uh, tweet from our friends over at TV Podcast Industries, who are also covering the Wheel of Time. Great uh, guys. and doing a great job with it. Uh, really appreciate them. They're, they've become good friends of mine personally, and I suppose of the Double P Podcast Network as well. Yeah, they're good uh, guys, but they. They wanted to say, I'm sure you probably watched it. I did, guys. I did, Derek, John, and Chris. Uh, but great documentaries on the music with Lauren Balf uh, in the extras for this week, which, Bubba, I don't know if you saw those or not. But there there are two little mini segments uh, added in the bonus content for this week's episode. One is primarily a focus on uh, the actor who plays Tom Marilyn and his portrayal of that song that Bubba didn't understand the meaning of. Um, it really bugged me because he talked about how he took a kind of a Tom Waits approach to singing, which I heard in the performance, but I really wanted to do a whole skit performance like I do at the front of each episode of that dragon song uh and do and have him introduced at the club as tom waits uh and then they had to put that out there and it ruined my bit so i can't do oh, that bit shameful. you all are saved uh by the fact that i that they did do that uh, the other doing. one was the other one was really great too it explored uh some of the different vocal performances and some of the approaches for instruments and everything that lauren is taking for the score for the show, uh, some really interesting groups that he has singing some of that stuff, some really interesting singers as well. Uh, so be sure to check all of that out. This time around for me, I'm just going to check out about how harmony can affect the emotional context of a melody that we already know, mainly the main theme. We hear it every week when the sh show credits come on. But when you dress it up with a little bit different harmony, it kind of takes on a different context. Good night, morning. So as that scene closes between Moraine and Alana, we hear a very familiar theme. It's the main theme, which has been associated a lot with Moraine, actually, but also with the Aes Sedai. There's something different about it, though. And what is that difference? Well, when we hear the main theme and the opening credits, it's pretty much centered just around one key. But here we have a great demonstration of how harmony can create a different kind of emotional context regarding any particular piece of music. Once again, the way that that melody sounds in the first context, it's pretty much centered around the tonic, the home key. It sounds centered like this. The bass notes aren't really moving you know, it's all just feels like 
it's centered around one piece. There's no real harmony moving anywhere for us emotionally. And there are some subtle changes in the main theme as it progresses through the opening credits that give it a little bit of harmonic context, but nothing like the end of this particular scene. At the end of this particular scene, we have a different baseline and the baseline is moving and it creates different emotions as it goes. I'm talking about this part. That moving bass line creates different kinds of harmonies that create all kinds of things. First of all, the bass line is moving down, which is kind of like this sinking feeling. You feel the impending politics coming upon Moraine in regards to some of the things that Alana said. Additionally, that very last bass note with that melody note creates a great deal of tension, which tells us you know, this is something serious because it's got a lot of tension in it. And then finally, we do get to settle on what I musicians call the tonic, the home key, the place that feels like home. But then the harmonies move against the static tonic. So you have an exact inverse of what you had before. The bass line was moving against the melody that we know. Now the harmonies are moving up against the bass that we know. Now, one thing that's very interesting to me regarding this particular section is the fact that that middle harmony that's between the bass and the melody that we're hearing, it is rising against the static bass note. But the very last note, coupled with the bass note, creates a different kind of chord quality than we're used to hearing with a tonic chord. I know that sounds like a lot of gibberish. All I'm saying is that when we feel like a song has kind of come home, so to speak, like it feels where it's supposed to begin, where it's supposed to end, we don't normally hear that middle harmony note with it. That middle harmony turns what would normally not be a dominant chord, I'll explain that in a second, into a dominant chord. And what a dominant chord does is a dominant chord is kind of a function that always makes the music feel like it needs to go somewhere else. It makes it feel incomplete. And that's exactly what this is narratively and emotionally trying to tell us, is that as of yet, this situation is not resolved. So there you go. I know it was kind of a double S, a short segment but we've got to get back to Bubba and Catfish. All right, Catfish, you ready? Yep. So uh, at the count of three, we're going to say harmony in harmony. We're going to sing okay. it out. Okay, okay you ready? ready? Yeah. One, two, three. Harmony. harmony. Oh, man, Lauren Balf could learn from us. Wow, Matt. Oh, that was great. I was so glad. Thanks. Thanks, Matt. He just brings it every week with his music analysis. I learned so much. <laughs> Catfish is always I love it. The fact that you listen to my segments each and every podcast that we do for Double P. Oh, Anytime that, that I'm talking about the Mandalorian music or the Why the Last Man music, yeah. uh, Catfish is always the first to download uh, the you know Bubba sends it to him. I send the stuff to Bubba. No, no, email. as a as a as a prep for the episode. 
Yeah. Uh, I listen to the music analysis first, and then it really gets me into the the mode. You all. So, I, I mean, but, the music I, tells so much of the story, Catfish. It yeah. really does. It tells so much of the story that you really do need it for prep in order to understand the story that I you're do. witnessing I on do. screen. I do. I do. But all. Uh, but just beautiful as always. It's so wonderful to hear that uh, my fellow podcasters actually listen to what I have to say uh, when I record it, but not necessarily when they're speaking to me in person. So on that note, we are done for this particular podcast. I've got a book reader podcast, special podcast coming up in the near future. I don't know if I'm going to do just the fourth and fifth episode or if I'm going to do four, five and six like I did one, two and three the last time around. But uh, you will get that at some point in the near future. And uh, Bubba has been kind enough to even put those up on the YouTube as well, uh, even though that's not the thing. He won't be there. Neither will Catfish. It'll just be me. You'll be bored. But if you want to talk to people who aren't boring, there are ways to do so. Our Ooh. special guest, Catfish, this time around, has a way for you to talk to him. Catfish, how do they find you out there in the Internet? They can hit me up at CJGman67 on Twitter, your 67th favorite CJG man. And Bubba, yes. uh, who is much more fit than an old gear ever will be. Uh, how, how about you tell us how people can contact you personally and not spoil you? Well, you can just go to the library. I'll be walking around and having books. And then I'll start <laughs> talking to you when you're trying. Oh, sorry. The way you can find me is on is on Twitter. Reach out to at Fitten Trim. That's F-I-T-T-E-N-T-R-I-M at Fitten Trim on Twitter. Speaking of spelling Twitter handles out uh, uh, overly, uh, here we go. At the word double, the letters PHQ. PHQ stands for Podcast Headquarters. Be sure to follow that podcast because they've got all kinds of great things coming up in this, the end of this year and for 2022. Wow. For instance, for 2022, I'll be doing uh his Dark Materials yep. with Holly once again. We'll be doing season five of The Crown oh, yeah. with Holly once again. Bubba and I will. But there's all kinds of Simon. Just chill out, Simon. It's okay. There's going to be lots of catfish in 2022 as well. Oh, in hell fact, yeah. you're going to get catfish way before 2022 comes. Okay, a couple days before 2022 comes. But uh, Bubba and Catfish, do you want to tell us a little bit about what Parsec Passion is going to be up to at the end of this month? In just 26 days from when we're recording this, what? Disney Plus is releasing The Book of Boba Fett. Boom, boom, boom. And we are going to be breaking down the new Star Wars show on Disney Plus from a deep, deep, deep old man feel. <laughs> so if you want to know how two OGs, original fans of the Star Wars trilogy feel about these new Disney Plus shows... Check out the Parsec Passion Podcast wherever you find great podcasts. That's a triple P. Parsec Passion Podcast. If you don't download it, we'll throw you into a Sarlacc pit. Woo! And you'll never get out of that. Ever. Yeah. Well, so, uh, so, folks, at Bust Blockbuster is the Twitter handle to find me. You can also email mattsaudioblog at gmail.com, M-A-T-T-S audioblog at gmail.com, or... You can simply leave comments on our YouTube below if you're watching us via YouTube. We thank you so much for your feedback. I'm really enjoying this season. I'm glad Bubba hasn't abandoned me. I don't know if Catfish will abandon me in the future or not, but we'll see. Simon, keep your I've fingers done crossed. I've before, and I can do it again. <laughs> <laughs>